The History Show with Kieran Doyle on West Cork FM. So welcome listeners, I'm here now with an old friend of mine, Con McCarthy. Some of you of course will know Con because he's featured on this show a few times, in fact he's produced a number of shows for me, uh, and Con has actually spoken uh, as a guest of mine before, but Con is here today in particular because he's after writing a new book, a book called Desert Surges, A West Cork History from the Ice Age to the Revolutionary Period. Welcome, Con McCarthy. Thank you very much indeed, Kieran. Thank you indeed. And how are you keeping? Quite well, thanks be to God. Quite well, thank God, indeed. Thank you very much. Now, Con, just to kick things off, because I know this is very important to you, and I think our listeners should hear from the outset, all the profits of this book are going to a surgeon. Can you explain who this person is and why you want the money to go to this man? Well, now, if we make any profits from this book, they're going to Brother Kevin Crowley of the Capuchin Day Centre in Dublin because uh, this book is Desert Surges, about the parish of Desert Surges, which more pe- people would remember as Ahiol, basically, the Ahiol church area. And Brother Kevin is from that parish, the parish of Desert Surges. He's from the townland of Kilcolman. He was born and reared in Kilcolman, and he was known then as Billy Crowley, but when he joined the brothers, he took the name of Kevin, after St. Kevin. And he's running the Capuchin Day Centre in Dublin, which is famous, and for which he got the freedom of Dublin for. And when the Pope came to Ireland, the only one person particularly he wanted to see was Brother Kevin Crowley. And he actually met him this year. So Brother Kevin is doing fantastic work, work in Dublin. So if we have any few Bob out of the sales of this book, we want him to go to such a worthy cause and such a worthy desert surgeon. Fair play, and uh, of course, with this, with coming up to Christmas as well, homelessness is always more in our eye, and the fact that Brother Kevin deals with people on the streets, it's it's a great uh, gift that you're giving him, Con. Yeah, it's a lovely opportunity. So, listeners, um, let's go to the history of, of Desert Surges. Now, um, we get people from all over the world uh, that listen to this, and um, some people will, will may have heard of Ahiol in a scheme even, but never Desert Surges. Where is Desert Surges? Now, Desert Surges, for a start off, is in the county of Cork, and it's in between the three towns of Dunmanway, Clonakilty, and Bendon. It's a little tr- little area in between those three towns. So you mean to me, you mean to tell me, Con? You've written a, a book, 500 pages, and a small little triangle of land uh, between these more famous towns. Uh, 500 pages, listeners. Um, how could you write so much in such a small area? Well, it's quite right. It's a small area, 20 square miles, but uh, and it's a rural area as well. There's actually today only one shop in it and a couple of pubs, but uh, three pubs to be precise. But... It's rich in history, really. It has amazed me how much history in it, how many archaeological sites in it, how many famous people have come from it. So it was actually a labour of love, really. And I actually had to contain the book because there's so much more out there to be written about desert surges. There are loads of areas I haven't touched on at all and some areas I have only briefly touched on. And it amazed me how much history is about this small area because... It is a really historic area. 
So listeners, that amazed me to hear that comment, especially when his book is called From the Ice Age Revolutionary Period. What could he have left out? So we're going to dip into the book, Con, and examine some of the things that, that you found. Um, now, Con, uh, there's obviously, with, with that length of history, just, we're just going to try to go to some of the highlights because it's a fascinating read. I've been reading through it. Um, let's just talk a little bit about um, one, of the, one of the finds, and this is a very original find, the, the Battle of Carn Hill. Um, it's about where high, the destiny of high kings is made. Why would a battle of such significance take place in Ahiol and Desert Surges? In fact, what went on at Carnhill? Now, you mentioned about uh, my research for the book, and this was actually the most interesting thing I actually discovered in the whole book. This battle, which featured at least at least 60,000 people. And this was in the year 858 AD. And... The High King of Ireland, Maelrua, or Maliki, as he was known, he, the kings of Munster were refusing to give him tribute. And uh, he came along to teach them a lesson. And the two armies kept dividing each other till they'd, you know, each army wanted to get the better position, the height and everything. And eventually they were almost moving south as far as the sea practically. And this is where the battle took place. Why exactly, we don't know, but this was the site picked by the King of Munster. But unluckily for him, the King of Munster lost his life there, as did the King of the Dacia in Waterford. And uh, the High King of Ireland, Maelrua, he was victorious at that battle. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and um, again, for our, perhaps more or more purest listeners, where could you source such information? Was it archaeological uh, information or was it in annals? In, in the annals, yeah. Okay. It's in the annals of Ulster, in the fragmentary annals. It's referred to. It's also referred to in the annals of the Four Masters, mm. which is in the annals. And, of course, we are also lucky now that the, the UCC have put these on digital files so they're available to the public. That's and that's where I found it. And, of course, people would say, like, how do you know it's corn? Uh, this great um, historian, Dermot Morocco, in his book, he has identified the Battle of Corn as being corn in Desert Surges mm -hmm. because there are quite a few corns. There's a corn at Lip, there's a corn in Fermoy, just mm -hmm. to name a couple mm -hmm. hills, okay? But he identified this as corn in the parish of Desert Surges, Dermot Morocco. And what about um, physical evidence? Do, uh, is there any? Uh, did you come across physical evidence in your studies? Not only did I not come across physical evidence, I had never ever heard of it. And I've spoken to many historians in the area and all over the place, great historians like uh, Jeremiah Manny and everything like this. They had never mentioned it. John T. Collins, these famous historians of West Cork in this area, mm. had never ever mentioned it. And I, you know, coming across that in the annals, was like coming across. A pot of gold, really. Yes, yes, yes. I'm talking about pots of gold. Was there some news, um, some myths and legends about ashes being found and uh, up in that up in Carnhill that no. you write about? Yeah, that's now going back to the third century, uh, second third century. There was a high king of Ireland, again according to the annals, by the name of Louis Macon. Louis the son of Con. He was known as Louis Macon because as a young boy, seemingly he was suckled from uh, a hound. Just as a young baby, he was suckled from a hound. And Mokkun, the son of the hound, he was known as. Now, he became High King of Ireland in the year 195 AD. And he was High King of Ireland for 30 years. And then 
in, he was slain in a battle at, on the Bandon River, east of Inniskeen, towards Morat. And of course, he was buried then on the highest peak around, which was Corn Hill. Mm. Corn in the parish of Desert Surges. Now, as the years went on, it was rumoured that he was buried with a pot of gold. Hmm. and But of course, due to superstition and respect and everything, nobody ever touched it. But in the um, in the eighteen hundreds, there uh, there were people there by the name of uh, Damery, and his workmen, and they dug for the pot of gold, and they actually came, un- unbelievably across this crock, and they felt they had the gold, and they sent their workmen away, and the Damery brothers, just they picked up the crock, and as they did. A man by the name of Barrett came along and he, he swiped it from them and ran away with it. And they took off after him across the fields and they were catching up. And so he put in his hand to take out what he believed to be gold inside in this. And he kept running then for about another mile. And uh, the Damery brother said, stop following him at this stage. So he opened his hand and when he opened his hand to see his gold, it had turned into ashes. And he believed, of course, the fairies had turned the gold into ashes. But actually, what he had in his hand were the ashes of Louis Macon. The ashes of Louis Macon. Again, now you might say this is a little bit far-fetched, but that urn is today in Ulster Museum. Oh. And uh, a neighbour of mine, uh, Conor Deneen, uh, formerly of Knockay Lyre, and um, a grandson of Michael Deneen, who features in the War of Independence, um, he located that there a couple of years ago indeed. And he's hoping to bring it back to its home place eventually. Wow, that's some great story. Uh, now that, that this book is written, uh, it probably highlights the fact even more. So Connors, um, as I said, I was reading through the book. It's beautifully illustrated as well. Um, archaeology also interests you. And I can see you, you, you discuss ring forts, uh, castles, souterrains. Is there anything in particular that, uh, that your that our, uh, listenership would love to uh, hear about? Well, now, of course, forts, as most people know now, ring forts were basically farm homesteads where people lived and everything like that. And at the moment, there are about 32,000 in the 32 counties in various forms of disrepair. And in the parish of Desert Surges, there are about 32. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some. there's a couple of beautiful ones in Ballyvoy townland there's one with two rings in very good preservation still and in Cashelmore there's one with three rings not quite as well preserved and then in Caravoller you have one with a souterrain now most of these forts have souterrains but the Caravoller souterrain is interesting so far as that holding up the roof of the souterrain are ohm stones and this helps us to date it to after the time of Christ because it shows that the Ohm writing and the gods they were worshipping were no longer held in such high esteem and they were used just as mm. building blocks. But the Ohm writing is still very, very clear on these stones and the book features a nice picture of it. In fact, um, I remember going on a school tour there once and I couldn't keep one of the children out and she, uh, she went down into it and took the photographs inside <laughs> and I know nobody else come. I was shouting at her to come back but there was no stopping and she told me that was the greatest moment of her life <laughs> and definitely the photographs in it are wonderful and yeah. thank you very much indeed that's fantastic and it's great to, uh, to be a teacher and imbue that with kids and of course get the odd um, 
free photograph from them as well. <laughs> now, you, you also mentioned Derry Leem Lyra Castle. I may have mispronounced that now, but that's a very significant uh, castle in, in... Well, that's the only castle in Desert Surges, mm-hmm. extant in Desert Surges at the moment. It's a McCarthy Crimin Castle. And uh, it was built by the McCarthy Crimmins about the middle of the 15th century, I would think. We're not certain on the date now. But uh, ownership changed from the McCarthy's to... There were different people, Theophilus Carey and other people had it over different stages. And eventually the English had it and the Bernards of Bandon had it. It's also, at one stage, it was... Um, at one stage, it was used... Uh, as a dancing school where a fiddler played, a blind fiddler played there. And there was also a proselytising school there during the salmon or a soup school. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that wasn't very successful because the parish priest of, um, of Inneskeen, Father Sullivan, he wrote a beautiful a poem, half Irish, half English, in mocking it. Oh, yes. It was very successful. But... The, the teacher in that school was Isaac McCabe, and they'd be the same McCabe's as the McCabe auctioneers in Cork up to a few years ago. They were, they were auctioneers in Cork. Now, very interestingly, lately, by the way, he had been a Catholic, Isaac McCabe, his wife, but he, he returned to the Catholic religion in his deathbed. And recently I was speaking to um, a nun who works out in Texas, Sister Gabrini Foley, She'd be a sister to Norma Foley of Ornagrania Farm Guesthouse in Banniscarty. Norma would be very known, well known to a lot of people in West Cork. And she's friendly with a father McCabe out there, who's a direct descendant of Isaac McCabe. So it's funny that really? the proselytising teacher, his descendants are priests in the Catholic tradition. Wow, that's... Uh, over in London University, uh, a man by the name of Mr Whitecliffe, Samuel, mm-hmm. he wrote a PhD on the castles of West Cork, on the architecture in them, and he has done, and I have um, included yeah, in the that. book his report on that, and it's very, very detailed, mm-hmm. and for anyone who's interested in, ac- in architecture, it's really detailed and an excellent work. Okay, Con, that's, that's fantastic, I saw that in it actually, and... Uh, just so following up with the centuries, you, you, you cover, of course, the plantation period as well. And, of course, we, we, we all over in Ireland, the Catholics were losing their land uh, during the plantations. Uh, what were the effects on Desert Surges? I see you have a census uh, populations in the back of your appendix as well. Um, was there a devastating effect on the population? Yeah, you mentioned there, um, the, the, you know, about the plantation. But prior to that, the, the thing that most amazed me was the change of land ownership constantly over the years before the English, so-called English, ever came here. Because the Irish were constantly taking land off each other, mm-hmm. brother against brother, and the change of land, uh, land ownership was a constant thing. It went on constantly over the centuries. And then, of course, in the plantation of Bland and Bandon, Desert Surges was part of that plantation and the extinction of that plantation, the Munster Plantation, of course, eventually that, mm-hmm. and between that and the Cromwellian Plantation, uh, all of Desert Surges were planted so that the landowners owned the land and right up to a mm-hmm. hundred years ago, the the landlords owned the land and the, the 
the tin and farmers played rent to them. Yes, and, 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 and actually you, you make a point in your book uh, how that the Irish conquered one another and the Normans then basically reaped the spoils from that. Well, th- that's exactly my point, that the Irish were fighting so much among each other. Mm-hmm. McCarthy against McCarthy, McCarthy against O'Donovan, O'Donovan. The McCarthys came from South Tipperary. They displaced the O'Mahonys, who had previously displaced the O'Driscolls in Desert Surges, and, you know, the story goes on. Mm-hmm. And and then in response to that, of course, then you would, uh, you covered the white boys, um, the white boys in agrarian society that tried to reap a bit of revenge on some of the landlords. How uh, prevalent was that in Desert Surges? Well, it, it was very, very prevalent in the area. It was so prevalent that the parish priest of Inneskeen, Father Nugent, got permission from the bishop, got an order from the bishop, to excommunicate anyone he knew to be in the White Boys. Mm-hmm. And in Ahiol in 1838, uh, there was a priest by the name of Father Jeffers. And this is when the church was just newly built now in 1838 in Ahiol and he gave out off the altar about the white boys and he said look you've got to stop this you can't be uh, burning houses and killing cattle you know thou shalt not steal Mm -hmm. thou shalt not kill and the white boys didn't take kindly to this at all so the following Sunday when Father Jeffers came to Mass they had the door of the church bolted in them and he couldn't get in so he had to say it in, in an outhouse Mm-hmm. belonged to uh, the, f- the forefathers of Joe Welsh, the TD and Minister for Agriculture and uh, the following Sunday he came again and it was the same story and the following Sunday he came again and it was the same story with the result that the bishop then transferred him to Glenmoyer mm-hmm. and the priest who was in Glenmoyer, Father Hines came to Hyole and of course Father Hines was a famous a famine priest who died in the time of the famine but there's a follow-up to that thing. The leaders of the White Boys at that time were the Codys of Bendon Mountain or Cashel Moor. Uh, they call it the Pekin. And it's where the, the mast, if, if you're driving from Clonakin to the Bandon, you'll see the mast having passed Banniscarty, between Banniscarty and Gagan to your right-hand side, you'd see the mast up there on the mountain. That's the Bendon Mountain mm-hmm. or Cashel Moor and, and Cashel Commons and Cashel Big, all that area. Now, they lived up in that area the Cody's and William Cody and his brother Isaac Cody and they were among that okay but of course they had to flee because they were in, they had to flee Ireland then because they were in trouble with the white boys and they went off to South America and eventually they settled in North America and one of their sons was the famous Buffalo Bill now you'll say this is another fairy story from Con McCarthy but and if you look up, say, Google search now or anything, and you'll see Buffalo Bill, or they'll give his ancestry being from South America or whatever it is. But the reason the ancestry is wrong, when he went out there, he was an outlaw in Ireland when he left. Yeah. Ireland was ruled by Britain. He went out to America, which was at that time ruled by Britain. So he basically ended up in the same country, so he had to change, he had to change his background and say where he was from. Yeah. And that's sort of Buffalo Bill's father was one of the white boys of Ahiol. Now, the people that um, th- that can back that up, or the O'Riordan family would be the same as Sean O'Riordan, who um, wrote Antiquities of the Irish Countryside, which is one of the, the greatest books ever written on, you know, Celtic Ireland. Mm. Fantastic, Colin. Wow, that's fantastic, because uh, when you think about, as you said, 20 square uh, miles of, of territory can have such a big influence. Um, 
such a big influence that you even have uh, people like Henry Ford. Now, some of our listeners from Banniscarty may uh, may be phoning in and giving out about this, but um, what has Henry Ford got to do with Tessa Sergius? Well, when the Ford family came from, I think it was Somerset in England now, um, when they came, they came to the townland of Crahan in Desert Surges. And Henry Ford's grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather at least uh, lived there. Mm-hmm. Now, Henry Ford's father lived in uh, Madame in Banniscarty, quite correct. And that's why, of course, Banniscarty have are making the most of it. But in fact, the real homestead of the Fords is in Crohan, in the parish of Desert Surges. And in the book there, you can see in the tide apartments mm-hmm. I've included, where it clearly shows Henry Ford. Actually, the name Henry Ford would be a predecessor of his in Crohan, uh, in the parish of Desert Surges. So basically, Henry Ford is indeed a Desert Surgeon. So you actually got there first. Did you hear that, Banniscarty? They got there first. Uh, no chance of a silver car down there, I think, though, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, besides Henry Ford, and you also mentioned Daniel O'Connell. Now, I know Daniel O'Connell is not connected to this research, so how does he end up in your book? Well, Daniel O'Connell is very much connected to the parish of Desert Surges insofar as the, the par- um, director of Desert Surges, Mountyford Longfield, he also had the parish of Kilcrohan and Kerry. Not Kilcrohan by Bantry, now Kilcrohan and Kerry. That was one of his parishes. Now he was an absentee vicar from there, an absentee clergyman of the Church of Ireland. But he drew the tithes from that. And Daniel O'Connell had to pay £50 a year. Now this is when land was about £2 an acre. Mm. And he had to pay £50 a year. Now, and... Daniel O'Connell was not very enamoured by having to pay this tax to a church which he didn't adhere to. Mm-hmm. And he wrote to the papers complaining about it. Reverend Mountyford Longford wrote in response. And Daniel O'Connell wrote again in response to that. But uh, certainly from the media point of view, Daniel O'Connell clearly won the argument. Mm-hmm. He was a great man of words really, wasn't he? Yeah, in fact, for a person that has no interest in desert surges, it just just want to see how a good barrister oh, makes an argument. It mm. is very very compelling reading. Great, and that's also in your book. Um, no, can I bring you back to something that you saw was interest me as a boy, and I, I I'm so glad it it comes up in the book because it shed some light on me. For any of our listeners who know this area in West Cork, when you come off the road, Banniscarty, there's a there's that's massive, straight, straight, long road uh, going, which looks like through the middle of nowhere, as if someone measured it exactly. A butter road, I believe. Uh, tell me about the butter roads. <coughs> Pardon me. Now, the, bu- the butter roads, the butter roads were built basically to facilitate people going to the cart butter market with their butter. Now, prior to that, there were only little paths for horses to travel along. But carrying the butter, they needed uh, a cart as well. So they built butter roads and they were granted. And a lot of these were toll roads as well with pikes at them. And they went, normally they went on a straight line as, as far as possible. There's some beautiful butter roads from Kerry to all the way up to Cork, coming in through Blarney Street. 
eventually, and the same way from Westcorp, mm. from Bantry and from Skibbereen, and the road from um, Bantry passed over Corran Hill, with the result that on Corran Hill you actually had a type of a hospital, an infirmary for the sick, you had a, a she-bean or a name to help the people have a little sup of, uh, sup of refreshment along the way, and uh, as well as that, of course, it was the ideal haunting for highwaymen such as Dunica Dove. Oh, Dunica Dove, yes. Tell our listeners about Dunica Dove. He's an interesting character. Yeah, Dunica Dove McCarthy, he was one of a family of, I think there were seven boys in it. And when he was a young boy, he went into Bandon and in the shop he stole uh, a bag of nails. Now, if you or I stole a bag of nails and we came home, we told uh, that we just stole the bag of nails, we'd be sent back into Bandon quickly, barefoot, and to return them. But, on the contrary, Dunica's mother said, well done, Dunica, you will be a good man yet, you'll make a great man. So, since Dunica's line, life of crime began, as did that of his brothers. Now, there are two versions told of how Dunica was caught. One by Lord Bandon, I beg your pardon, by uh, George Bennett in his book on Bandon and the Principalities of West Cork. And the other one is told in the school's collection, 1937-38 National School's collection. Now, one says that there was a rent collector going out in the morning to collect rents for Lord Bandon. And Lord Bandon found it very, very hard to get anyone to collect rents. And in the morning, one person says that this was this was Black Din, that he had been robbing all the rent collectors. So Black Din asked, I beg your pardon, Lord Bandon asked Black Din to collect the rents for him. So, so good enough. Black Din headed out in the morning to collect the rents for Lord Bandon, and he met another highwayman. And the highwayman asked Black Din, what are you doing? And Black Din said, I'm going around collecting the rents for Lord Bandon. And that was fine. He was coming back in the evening, again around Kilcolman School now. Out came the highwayman and held up the gun to, to Black Din and said, hand over all the money. So Black Din had no option, handed over all the money and his horse and everything. And then Black Din said to the other highwayman, he said, I have one request, please. Before you leave me go penniless, broke, without my horse or anything. Lord Bandon is a very, very tough man. And I am going to be in the severest trouble. I could be executed. Would you show that at least I made a struggle? Would you please put a bullet through the end of my coat here? And he held out his coat and the highwayman dutifully obliged. And then he said, look, put one through my sleeve. Just to say, I really did. Mm. And then he took off his cap and he said, put one through the cap now to say, I just barely escaped. And the highwayman duly obliged. Now with this, of course, his three bullets were gone. And Black Dean took out his gun. <laughs> and he robbed the highwayman, not only of everything he had, his horse and his pony, so Black Dean ended up very well with it. Now, another version says... That was Black Din, was the highwayman, and that he was, uh, that he was cutted by the ring collector, 
and that the ring collector led him into Bandon, into Lord Bandon. He was tried, and he definitely was tried in Bandon for something or another. Okay, tried in Bandon. He was tried, and he was condemned to death mm. in April. And uh, he was hanged in facts breaching clonacility. And that is a definite fact. He was hanged. And his two brothers were hanged as well in Bandon for another incident. And they were hanged in Bandon. And when they came into Bandon, there was a huge crowd came in after them. And, you know, they, it was a huge occasion. There were thousands of people there to, to witness the hanging of those men in Bandon. But uh, Blackton was hanged in facts breaching clonacility where Scally's supermarket is now. My God, it's amazing. Uh, and Con, I mean, as I said, uh, listeners, it's it's five hundred pages long, including uh, appendices. There's a, a fantastic amount, and then we even we haven't even got to the revolutionary period. Of course, uh, just briefly speaking, Dick Bart, of course, uh, the sad story of Dick Bart. He's a uh, man from Ahiol, isn't he? He's indeed, yes, absolutely. And uh, you know that's. That covers the era of, I suppose, one of the saddest periods in, even there were some very, very sad periods in Desert Surge's history. That's one of the saddest periods when six, if not nine people in Desert Surge died during the War of Independence and Civil War. And in some cases, you know, at the hands of, you know, people they'd have known. So it was a very sad time. But thanks be to God, you know, since that love and romance have blossomed and, you know, yeah. the bitterness of old has been replaced by intermarriage and marriage yes. and everything like that, which is lovely to see. But of course, there was reason to be bitter uh, for um, the Barrett family. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners why, how he met his end? Well, Dick Barrett was uh, executed as a, a reprisal for the death of Sean Hales. Sean Hales was uh, on Michael Collins' side, took Michael Collins' side, while Sean Hales' brother, Tom Hales, took the opposite side. Now, Dick Barrett also took the anti-treaty side. Now, when Sean Hales was put to death, and he has, he was a personal friend of Dick Barrett, a personal friend of his, mm -hmm. Dick Barrett, along with three others, one from each province, was uh, told at two o'clock in the morning, you are going to be shot tomorrow morning at eight o'clock, prepared to die. And he was taken out and executed. Mm -hmm. He was buried in Mount Joy, and later on then he was interred in Ahiol. But it's a very, very sad period, you know, a very, very sad period in history. Yes, and, and you covered it beautifully as well in your in your book. Uh, as I said, readers, we could really be here for a, a whole hour. Uh, the family has covered, of course, the uh, Ahiol GAA, which Khan was a member of and so involved himself. Folklore and legend as well, where he speaks so, and writes so beautifully with some of the myths and legends there as well. Khan, I want to wish you best of luck. With your book, we might have you back again to tell us a little bit more about it and how you're getting on in the new year. And uh, hopefully, from my point of view, I'll have you back doing programming again because you made some beautiful shows there uh, earlier in the year for me. So, good Thank you very much indeed, Kieran, and I wish you and yours a happy, very happy and a holy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas.